0: Heskey, oh, he sold the defender. Great run, powerful run. Oh, what a goal from Emil
1: Heskey! Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Anfield Central Podcast as we take a look back at some of the heroes of Liverpool's 2001 anniversary treble win. It's a very long title there. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the unsung hero Emil Heskey, a figure who's perhaps a little bit underappreciated at Liverpool and the football world in general. He came to Liverpool from uh, Leicester City um, and played over 200 games for the Reds, um, scoring around 39 league goals. His goal-scoring form was sometimes questioned, but I think as a player and as a, as a guy, he spent almost five years at the club. Do we think, James, he's a little bit underrated, maybe even by Liverpool fans? Yeah, I think he is, especially during that
2: uh run we went on in 2000-2001 I think he, he was there to make, Mike, he made Mike Owen better than what he was I think Mike Owen spoke about it numerous amount of times, whereas he said he only got the amount of goals that he did or he only got in the goal scoring positions that he did because of the way Emil used to you know link up with him he'd do all the dirty work, he'd go up for the headers with the defenders and just, you know, Owen would get onto the end of the loose balls and I think that was Liverpool's system really throughout that whole season and especially whilst Heskey and Owen were together. But I think he's underrated by neutral fans. I mean, let's not forget. He was he started up front in a 2010 World Cup under Fabio Capello. Um and he led the line with England alongside Michael Owen and was part of the five one away in Munich. So yeah, very underrated.
0: Yeah, he I mean like as we were saying before we started recording KSI kind of helped ruin the image of Emil Heskey for everyone. Um, uh, yeah. Heskey was just, he was everything that Michael Owen wasn't. He was just this big intimidating bruiser of a striker who would just bully opposition defenses on his best days. Um and he and Owen was such a sort of stereotypical English big small partnership up front, but it really worked. Like for England, he was helping keep the likes of, you know, Robbie Fowler and, and Teddy Sheringham out of the um uh out of the England starting striking pair, which is just ridiculous if you think about it. But you know, he he was always a very integral part. He was not as good as Mike and absolutely not, but You know, if you take him away from Michael Owen, I think Owen has a much harder time of it um, than he did next to
1: Pesky. And like you say that, he was a very different kind of striker to an Owen or a Fowler in the sense where you when you talk about great goal scorers or or really good strikers, you always think greed is part of what makes them great. Mo Salah is a very good modern day example of that. He always, to his detriment sometimes, but also... This is why he's so great, is he's always looking to get a shot off. He will rarely pass if he's not scored in a game. For example, you know, in seasons where Liverpool have won the league and the Champions League, if we're one or two nil up and he's not scored, if Mane or Firmino have got the goals, there's no way Salah's passing. But with Heskey, he didn't seem to mind so much, as long as the team won or the team scored a goal. He didn't mind being a little more selfless maybe a little bit of a a kind of a Roberto Firmino comparison there in his kind of selfless nature. How important do we think that was, not just for helping Michael Owen, as we've talked about already, but just in general, Liverpool's kind of team in in the early noughties? I think it was vital for that that Liverpool
2: team. I think we've spoke about it before on these anniversary podcasts where we've said, you know, Gerard Houllier got the balance of that Liverpool squad absolutely spot on. Everybody played for each other. Everyone played for the shirt. You had the the mix of the and experienced and and, and the experienced in there. I mean, let's not forget, Heskey was a young up-and-coming player when he was at Leicester and was seen as a big thing. And that's why Liverpool went out and spent the money on him. Um I just remember as a kid, even when he'd score and he was getting interviewed at the end of the game, he was a really shy person. He never liked the spotlight being on him. He never liked being in front of the cameras. It always seemed like it was more of a team performance for him. And he almost looked uncomfortable being interviewed that he yeah. was being put in the spotlight when it was more of a team performance. And, you know, I just think that just speaks volumes about the person that you know, Emil Heskey is.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, whenever I've seen him speak, he just seems like a really affable, nice bloke. Um, the one thing I would say for Heskey is that Jared Hulier. I mean, like, you know, uh, the amazing performances that season. But I don't think anyone can say that we played the most dazzling football that season, really attack-minded and free-flowing. Like, it was very four-four-two, stay solid, hit it up, play it on the counter. And you need a player like Heskey in that front two for that football to work you need someone who's 6 built like a tank and able to hold the ball up and bully opposition defenses if you have a smaller striker making runs in behind like Michael Owen was like if, if you don't have a profile let's say we play Robbie Fowler next to Michael Owen amazing strike partnership I'm sure but That style of football where you need someone to hold the ball up and allow your team to get up the pitch on the counter is not going to work with Robbie Fowler and Michael Owen up there. With Heskey, he allowed Liverpool to do that. He allowed that sort of flexibility in our attack rather than becoming a bit one-dimensional with um, uh, just two quick forwards looking to get him behind the line. I mean, we've seen with Liverpool this term how how much of an effect that can have when there's no real physical presence up front to hold the ball up and allow Liverpool to progress up the pitch or have a presence in the box when you've got crosses swinging into attackers who are five foot 10 tallest against, you know, six, three, six, four center arms. Having a player like Heskey was invaluable to that team. And I think if we had a young Emil
1: Heskey in this team, I think we'd be a better side. And also when you do look at his numbers, like, He played for Liverpool between 1999 and 2004 and played 223 games and scored 60 goals. It doesn't seem amazing, but if you look at specifically the season we're talking about, 2000-2001, he played 56 games and scored 22 goals. So he's got hit, you know, 20 plus goals that season. So in terms of a goal scorer, it's it's a weird thing with him where he's thought of, oh, he was a striker, but he never scored. It seems to be the kind of, trope that goes along with him. I think his autobiography is actually called Even Heskey Scored, for example. So it's obviously like a running joke that Heskey didn't score, but is it a little bit kind of forgotten that in that season, he scored 22 times, which goes a long way to winning those trophies that we did go on to win.
2: It goes a very long way, and especially the games that Michael Owen missed through, through injury, obviously, then it, uh, the goal scoring. Uh, you know, then goes on to Emil Heskey and Robbie Fowler, and obviously Heskey stepped up when he's needed to. I think if you look at, like we've spoken about before, the whole feeling of that squad was durability, especially, like we said, they played 68 games that campaign. And how many did you say he played? 50? He played 56 times. I mean, to miss 12 games over the course of a season in four competitions is... Pretty remarkable, really. Um, so, yes, were he may have lacked his goal-scoring ability over his Liverpool career as a whole, um, I think his durability was probably the biggest. Because he was, let's not forget, he was going up against the likes of a young Real Ferdinand who was quicker and stronger. You know, a young John Terry, quicker, stronger. He was going up against some really good up-and-coming centre-hearts at the time, and then obviously some some defenders who were who were very experienced and... I think to to ride the bumps and bruises that he'll have got from those challenges at a young age, I think just speaks, again, volumes about him.
0: Yeah, he, um, like, that That sort of durability is something that I think this Liverpool squad could really use. Um, Yeah, um, having a figure like him in the dressing room as well, someone who's, like, there were a lot of big characters in that dressing room. You know, you had Steven Gerrard, you had Michael Owen, you had Jamie Carragher, Gary McAllister, you know, big characters, big names. And sometimes you just need someone who's going to just be quiet, be calm. And be that head in the dressing room to just sort of level things out a little bit. And someone on the pitch who's just going to keep calm, who's going to hold the ball up, slow the game down for you a little bit. Everyone talks about midfielders dictating the tempo of the game. But but as often as not, it's a striker who dictates how quickly a game passes them by. Because at the end of the day, the team, your team is trying to get the ball up to you as a forward. And you need to be able to make sure that you can hold that up and bring that support to you if you're the profiler striker that he was. And he was absolutely fantastic at that. And he did bring a goal-scoring presence, um, as you say. I mean, 22 goals in all competitions in the season is a phenomenal season. I don't care who you are. It's a really, really good season in terms of productivity. So saying that he was just, you know, the striker who never scored is harsh, to put
1: it lightly. And his impact tactically as well. We talk about him holding the ball up, which is obviously a massive part of his game and something he was really good at and which allowed Michael Owen or Robbie Fowler, whoever it was, to flourish. But we've spoken before on these anniversary shows about Julier's kind of uh, mantra it was all about the team. You all dig in, you will work hard. And even, sometimes these kind of strikers who are maybe larger in frame, who, are, who do so well at holding the ball up, they kind of maybe get labelled as a bit lazy or maybe they don't track back, but he did his fair share of, of the hard work as well. And I think that just kind of shows what kind of character he was and it was all team-focused, everything he did. Yeah, I think
2: you've got to look back to, to the time, you know, you look going to the turn of the millennium. Football was played a completely different way to what it is now. It wasn't runners getting in behind and starting the press. It was, as, as Max said, the rigid 4-4-2. You lumped it up long. You had your two wingers who just ran the channels up and down. They never came inside. You had your two midfielders who ran box to box, and that's what it was, and that's what you know he was built for. He was built for the rigid four four two formations. But I think it speaks volumes. Really, I remember I've got friends who are Wigan Athletic fans, and obviously I'm, I'm from around the area, and they were really gutted when Owen went to Aston Villa. Uh, sorry, when Heskey went to went to Aston Villa, yeah. um, which just speaks volumes because it wasn't Heskey in his in his prime. It, you know, he'd gone to Birmingham after us and then obviously he goes on to Wigan. So he was probably leaving them at his late twenties, early thirties, and they still fought really highly of him. Then he was still an integral part of another team. So again, it, it just goes to speak the volumes
0: of of Emil Hesky. Yeah, I mean, he just has a he. I think if you asked a manager who worked with him, you know, did he not score enough goals or did he, you know, was he a disruptive influence? I, I think absolutely no. I think whilst he's remembered as a little bit of a joke figure um, in football, I think if you ask most fans at clubs that he played for, um, how they felt about him in his time at the club, um, I, I think they would all have... Great reviews. Like, my, my most recent memory of Emil Heskey playing was when he came to Australia and he was playing for Newcastle Jet. And he just looked so thrilled to be there. And he was still a good player. um I mean, at that level, like the A League is not the Premier League, but you know, he was still a good player at that level. And he brought that star quality and he knew what he was bringing to that league. And I think that. He, that foundation of the, the sort of excitement around him coming to Australia um, was built off the back of the treble winning season. And I think that, yeah, his legacy at Liverpool is what has helped him build a legacy at clubs like Aston Villa, like Wigan, like Newcastle Jets um, throughout
1: his career. And looking at his career as a whole... He entered the, you know, he came through the ranks at Leicester City, as we say, and I think his debut for them, he was very young. He was a teenager. Played almost 200 games for Leicester as hometown club before moving on to Liverpool. But he was part of a Leicester team that was promoted to the Premier League in 1996. And then him as a player, he didn't leave the Premier League until 2012 when he he moved, as Max says, to to Australia. So he spent 16 years at the top level. You go hard-pressed to find many players in Premier League history who spent... 16 consecutive seasons playing Premier League football. Yeah, Exactly. I think how many
2: players have we seen come up for a couple of seasons and then get sold back to a championship club? You know, like the likes of Dwight Gale, he went down on... I think that's just one example that comes to head, where he did really well in the championship, comes to the Premier League, isn't quite cut out for it, goes back down to the championship with the team that he's relegated with. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Speaks volumes, and I think it just goes as a testament for his how he kept himself in good shape. You know, to like he said, all them years to play, and he, like we said, he was the big number nine who would bring the ball down, would link up the play. He had some bumps and bruises along the way, and I think to keep his body in that elite shape for the for the amount of time he did. And like I said before, Emil Heskey led the line in the 2000 World Cup in the opening game against the USA. It wasn't Jermaine Defoe wasn't Wayne Rooney. It was Emil Heskey. And I think that just goes to say everything about the guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, he he just, yeah, his longevity was incredible, really. But I, I think as a part of the treble winning squad, like if you if you speak to most people about the treble winning squad, like they'll talk about Owen, they'll talk about Gerard, they'll talk about um Hupia, McManaman. Um but Heskey was a truly integral part of that team. And to, to sort of turn him into a bit of a joke over the years has just been such a shame for such a decorated footballer and for someone who's so universally respected by those within the game.
1: And looking at his international career briefly, He played 62 games for England. He only scored seven goals, which again kind of corresponds with him not being all about goals as a striker. And I think he's spoken quite publicly before about he's a little bit annoyed, almost embarrassed that he didn't score more in an England shirt because that was what meant so much to him, like representing his country, where he came from quite humble, poor beginnings um, in in Leicester. Um, He went and he played in four major tournaments for England. So like James says there, Led the line in 2010 in that opening game. You think he set up Gerrard for the for the the goal? Um, Four major tournaments across like ten years: two European Championships, two World Cups. Do you think his kind, the way he's thought of around that time, is a little bit lost because England? He was kind of in and around that England golden generation of Rooney's, Michael Owens, Beckham's, etc.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, especially the big names like you've just mentioned, then your Beckham, your Lampard, your, your, your Gerrard, your Rowans. And they, you know, Emil Heskey was never going to live up to the same name as those because they they started to become all, almost brands at such a young age. Everyone, you know, Adidas and everyone was signing them up, and it wasn't exactly Emil Heskey. Kept himself to himself, was never in the press and stuff like that. But um, I think, you know, with the international appearances and his, and his goal scoring record, Again, he was used in the same way he was used for Liverpool. England played again the four-four-two and they played with Mike Owen and Emil Heskey up front. It was almost like Sven Goran Eriksen said, Right, lads, don't change anything. Yeah. Just play exactly like you do for your club and we should be all right. Um, and then again I think after the two thousand and two World Cup, I think he started to become more of a squad player and was sort of brought on when, you know, England were chasing a game because then, you know, the likes of Wayne Rooney broke through in two thousand and four and and players like that. So I think it's, it's a little bit harsh to say seven goals and six to two appearances. I think it, you've got to look more at how how long he actually
0: got on the pitch in, in all of those games. Yeah, I mean, to make the amount of appearances that he did for England, you don't make that many appearances for England if you're a bad player. You just don't. Um, uh, unfortunately, Sven's... Um... <laughs> Um, saying to the England players, just do what you do for your club, 4-4-2. Didn't work out quite that well, but you know, um, but Emil Heskey wasn't part of the reason why that didn't work. And like, we talk about his goal-scoring record, but the guy scored in the, fi- in the finals of a World Cup. He scored against Denmark in 2002. I remember that goal from, from when I was a kid, and I also remember him scoring against Germany in munich in um uh in the 5-1 like he didn't score many but you know he scored a couple of big goals for england and no one will ever be able to take that goal away from him against germany i mean he scored for england against oliver Kahn, like you know it's it's pretty good and and to make the amount of appearances that he made for england and whilst he didn't score many he scored memorable goals for england um I think he can be proud of his international career. Was he the best striker England ever had? No. Was he the best striker in that squad? No. But was he a valuable member of that squad? Yeah, I'm sure he was.
1: And looking at him post his football career, he retired in 2016 um, at Bolton Wanderers who in the Championship at the time. He's currently working as a coach with Leicester City Women. And he's previously kind of said how he wants to... Explore coaching, but also he wants to kind of look into the women's side of the game, which obviously doesn't get as much attention, as much hype as as the men's game. And doing that with his hometown club and giving back to the community in that way, um, it just kind of shows what I guess an all round good guy is, James. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's all we've said all the way through. This is just what (laughs) a nice guy he was.
2: Um, But yeah. You know, I think we've only seen Phil Neville really take the step into the women's game and obviously managing the England national team. And I think Chris Kirtland was at, or is still currently at Liverpool as, as a coaching a goalkeeper coach for the women's team as well. So it is nice to see sort of the males go into the women's game and try and increase the profile that way. Um, but I, I don't quite see him as a as a manager in the men's game. I, I, just his personality as he was as a player. Sometimes you can see it. You know, you look at the likes of Uriah Keane, just even Gerrard on the pitch. You like, you knew that they would probably make that next step and go into becoming become a manager. But I don't think Henry hesky has got that in him because, as we've said repeatedly, he is too much of a nice guy. <laughs> I
0: think that, yeah, I mean, you have that, to an extent, but at the same time, different managers act in different ways. Like, every single thing I've ever heard about Carlo Ancelotti is that he's a genuinely lovely bloke. Gerard Houllier is, well, by all accounts, lovely but He, like, you know, he wouldn't take shit, and I'm sure Carlo Ancelotti doesn't. But I think you can be a nice guy and be a good manager. Now, whether Emil Heskey has got that ruthless touch... As a manager that they all need, we don't know. But I I think him being an affable bloke doesn't necessarily count him out. And I think it's fantastic that he's moved into the women's game to, you know, um, uh, to get his coaching career going. I think, I mean, like this is a subject for another podcast, but yeah, I think the English women's game has got, has grown so much over the last few years. And if Emil Heskey can be part of it growing to the extent that it should, Um, then, yeah, I think that would be fantastic for all involved.
1: Yeah, especially with a team like Leicester who aren't a WSL club. They're a team that haven't necessarily got the resources as the likes of Man City and Chelsea's women's teams have. He's gone to – he does a lot of work in and around Leicester, I think, in the community as well. So sticking to his roots and trying to improve it that way, I think it's really, really – great thing for him to be doing um, James and Max thanks again for your time that brings us to an end of another anniversary special podcast thank you for having us again always a pleasure my friend and we'll be back very very soon to talk about another member of Liverpool's 2001 anniversary treble winning squad thank you and goodbye
0: Pesky he sold the defender great run powerful run oh what a